ahead and find your seat. If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be there together. If you're our first time with us, welcome. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to kind of open up the scripture. Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to be. Uh, while you're turning there, I want to introduce you to a couple who is joining our family, joining our team this week. We sent out some information uh, and letting you know that after a, a year or so, we have um, hired a full-time Faith Kids director, and uh, Brittany Dare, along with her husband Jeremy here. Would you guys stand and welcome them? So good to have you. We're getting started this week, getting settled in. Thanks, you guys can, can, can be seated. I don't want you guys to stand up. Uh, make sure after service you say hello to them and uh, give them plenty of grace. Every time you say hi, remind them of your name, okay? Can you do that? Like, you only remember two names. They're remembering about 450 names. So let's be kind and remind them when we meet them. We're looking forward to having Brittany join our staff and our team and having their family here with us uh, starting this week. And so it's going to be great for the this next season ahead. Matthew chapter 13 is where we're at as we keep going in our collection of sermons entitled the King Jesus Gospel. Now, word to the wise today, you want to take notes. Because I'm going to say some things today and cover a ton of information and you're going to be like, yeah, well, hold on, I got I to gotta write that down, I got to get that. And you're, you're going to want to do that and go back to it. So two options for you. Option number one, use the QR code on the screen and go to the online notes section. There's a spot at the bottom where you can email the notes to yourself. It's there every week. It's like a life hack for Jesus available for you. You can do it that way. Or keep your phone handy and when the notes come up on the screen, Grab your phone and grab a screenshot of the screens, all right? Take a picture, and then you can go back, because I'm going to use a ton of scripture today and references that you will want to go back and read and look into and dig into for yourself. I'm going to do a little bit more teaching today and a little less preaching. Notice I didn't say no preaching because come on, you can't change who you really are. It's just going to happen, folks. Matthew chapter 13, we're looking at some parables that Jesus taught and he's getting into some and reminding us of some very, very important truths that we need to correctly understand so that we can continue to live in the right mindset in our relationship with him. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44, this is what Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden. Somebody say hidden. Hidden in the field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the entire field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Verse 47, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. Somebody say every kind. When the net was full... They dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. I kept reading this phrase, and I kept feeling like I was in the middle of a Dr. Seuss book. Good fish, bad fish, good fish, bad fish, one fish, two fish. I just, for whatever reason, I had Dr. Seuss 
in my head this week, and now it's in yours. You're welcome. That is, that is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous, throwing the wicked into a fiery furnace where there will be no weeping, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand these things? And the disciples said, yes, we do. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, these are your words, and sometimes they don't compute. But Lord, help us as we study your word to be like the disciples and to be able to say, Jesus, we not only have ears, but we're listening and we understand what you're saying to us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. We said last week that when Jesus arrived, when he was born into the world, he was born and was completing and fulfilling and finishing a storyline that began from the very beginning about God's redemption, about God being a redeeming God. And he started the storyline in the very beginning and Jesus finished it out through his death, his burial, his resurrection and his ascension and enthronement into heaven. But at the same time, he came to announce the beginning of another storyline, a storyline about renewal, about renewing and restoring all things. And this was the storyline that began. And Jesus came announcing the kingdom of heaven that it was here, but not yet fully here, that it would be here and it would be fully arriving when he returns again in Jesus's second advent, in his second coming. That is when the renewal and the restoration of all things, when evil gets vanquished, when resurrection life happens for us as followers of Jesus, when, when everything gets sorted out in the end, that's still coming. And we as followers of Jesus have great hope and great promise of the life in the world that is to come. And the church said, amen. amen. And this was the story of the renewal. And Jesus was Gospeling. He was evangelizing. He was story, story-ing. I think I made that word up. He was getting us acquainted with the reality of the coming kingdom. And he was telling these little stories, these parables, to help us understand some things. And so today I want to unpack three kingdom truths for you that Jesus was illustrating and I think are important for us to understand in these little stories that he's telling us about the big story regarding the renewal through the kingdom of heaven. Are you ready? Here's kingdom truth number one. Justice is coming soon. Justice is coming soon. Last week we said that evil exists in our world because Satan and sin exist in our world and sin and Satan require justice. Think about this. What kind of God would he be if there was no justice for evil? If evil was just dismissed as that's not really a big deal. If murderers, rapists, evil kings who committed genocide for their own cause, if abuses of power and those who 
created evil and did evil and destructive things all for their own sake, if those things went unpunished, we would say that is unjust. We, we live in a world where we are crying out for justice. Here's the only, here's the thing that we have to understand, that justice can only be seen when consequences are real. The problem that we have with the justice is that we think justice should be a sliding scale based on our life compared to someone else's life who is worse than us. The only problem with that is that the standard of morality and the standard of truth and the standard of justice isn't you versus someone else more evil or more good. The standard of justice is you not versus yourself. The standard of justice is you versus the perfection and the holiness of God. That's the standard. That's where it is. You could get pulled over for running, uh, uh, for, for, for running a red light. You're like, yeah, 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 but the light just turned red when I entered the intersection. Did you go through the intersection when the light was red? Yes or yes. See, see we want to, like, we go, literally, I ran three red lights last week, y'all. And I was like, oh, man. And they were in the same day. Thankfully, I outran the cops. They had no idea where I was at. And I'm just kidding. There was, that didn't didn't happen. I made sure nobody was around when I went through the light. It's fine. But the reality is, the law was broken. It's a speed limit, not a speed suggestion. To be honest, I really wish they would just post maximum speed, really, and be like, if you're not going this speed, you're going to get a ticket. That's really what I wish they would do. It's like anyone going under this, then those of us who take the gray area and the grace given to us of five, sometimes nine and a half, depending if you're passing a really slow semi. Like those of us, then we'd really feel better about some things, wouldn't we? But the reality is, it's at the end of time when justice is coming, it's not about whether you have your good deeds versus your bad deeds. And if your bad deeds uh, are, are less than your good deeds way, then you get into heaven and into the kingdom of God. That's not how justice is done. In fact, it's not all of your good deeds and all of your bad deeds versus someone like Hitler or Stalin and their good deeds and their good and their bad deeds against your life. And you're like, yeah, you're not, you're the worst of two evils. You come on in because at least you're a saint compared to that one. That's not the scales of justice. Justice is all of your good deeds and all of your bad deeds. Uh, up against the holiness, the perfection, and the, and the pure standard of who Jesus is and God himself. And you will be weighed, and I will be weighed, and we will be found wanting. Unless God himself comes in the form of a man and takes our place on the scale and we receive his righteousness, then when his righteousness is weighed against God's righteousness, the scales of justice are level and you can receive the benefit and the joy of the life in the world to come. That is how it works. Now, I want you to understand that you are not the judge and I am not the judge. 
Jesus is the judge. He is justice and he is coming soon to judge the living and the dead. There are some scriptures on the screen right now that will tell you about the coming judgment of God in the life and the world to come. So these are some scriptures that I encourage you to write these references down and go back and read them this week. Like Revelation 20, 11 and 15, Acts 17, 30 through 31, Romans 2 and 5, Matthew 10, 15 and 11, Matthew 11, verse 22 and 24, Matthew 12 and verse 36, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Hebrews 6, 2, 2 Peter 2, 4 and Jude verse 6. The Bible has plenty to say about the justice and the judgment that is coming. We're not just making this up. It's here for us because he wants us to see it. And what we need to understand is all through salvation history, from the beginning of time up through now, God rewards people who are faithful to him. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, David, Daniel, the three Hebrew boys, and on and on the narrative of God's redemption goes. And from the beginning of time, he has judged and rendered punishment to people who persisted in disobedience and persisted in unbelief. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the reality that we need to see in the kingdom of God is that he is coming, and he is coming soon. Look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 10 through 21. It says this, Then he instructed me, John, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to do vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Pause. What is he saying? Why would he say, let the one who is doing evil continue to be evil? Why? Because some are good fish and some are bad fish. Some are weeds and some are wheat. And he's saying, you have the choice. You can live your life the way of God or you can live your way, way of life as you are God. And whatever choice you make and the way in which you live your life will determine what is happening on the other side of this. And so he's saying, just let it continue. It's going to continue, but until the time where it does not continue. And this is what he's talking about. He says, look, I am coming. What's that word? Soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates in the city and eat the fruit of the tree of life. Outside the city are dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. I, Jesus, has sent my angel to give you the message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life come. And I, am, and I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person and share in its shares of the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. And he who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. There's a lot of good news packed up into here. There's a lot of really clear warnings packed in this passage. 
encourage you to sit with it a little bit this week. Here's what I want you to understand, that justice is coming soon. Justice isn't mean. Justice isn't even about fairness. Justice is an act of love and protection. Those of you under the age of 30, I need you to hear me very, very clear. Jesus is not soft. He is sovereign. Boundaries without consequences are suggestions. Jesus doesn't make suggestions. He gives us commands to obey. And he gives us lots of time to be aware of that, take inventory of that, and to return to our first love in the process. He is sovereign and he speaks commands that are true. And Jesus was telling these stories to help us understand the kingdom. And he says, the kingdom truth is this, that justice is coming soon. And Jesus is our justice. Here's the second kingdom truth that I think it's important for us to understand today. And that is this, that hell is real. Hell is real. Now, when we start talking about hell, um, we all have different responses. We all have different paradigms and perspectives and understanding. We're all approaching that theological topic whether it be through cultural influence, through what we've heard growing up, or perhaps through our own perception and preferences. Today I want to take just a minute and give a condensed systematic theology teaching to you as to the truth that the Bible teaches us about hell. And the first thing that we have to ask ourselves is, well, what happens when we die right now? Before Jesus returns, what happens when, when we die? Well, what happens when we die is we become, we, we enter into a disembodied state. Your body remains on this earth. Your soul and your spirit united as one being. Your spirit being lives on. And you live on in one of two places. Scripture talks about you live on in what is called the abyss or utter darkness that's found in Luke 8:31, Luke uh, chapter 16 and 2 Peter 2 verse 9 it's referred to as the abyss or your spirit your disembodied in other words your spirit away from your body disembodied are we tracking with that word okay i just saw a lot of blank stares like what are you talking about that it no no like separation right okay because like the last funeral you went to, the body was probably still right there, there, right? Become a disembodied, and so either you are in abyss or what the Bible refers to as paradise. You're like, well, I thought we went to heaven. Well, biblical understanding of the word heaven just means the place where God dwells. And most of what scripture teaches us about hell and what we would think of as heaven are teachings of the reality of what we will experience in the next life, of what happens when Jesus returns, not what happens in the meantime until he returns. The Bible, by and large, speaks clearly to those things at the end of time, at the renewal of all things, after the judgment occurs, 
and the eternity that we spend in those places not and the Bible says a very little actually about what happens in this intermediate state of our lives so abyss or paradise and paradise is Luke 20 you can find that in Luke 23 and verse 43 Hebrews chapter 12 and 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8 to be absent from the body for the believer is to be present with the Lord so we go and we are with the Lord in paradise until Jesus returns and we experience new heaven and new earth for the believer. And those who do not have faith in Jesus, those who have not accepted of the righteousness of Jesus, those who have not invited Jesus to step onto the scale of their life and take their place in that space, they would find themselves living in the abyss. And there is no change available when you leave this life even when awaiting for the next in the bible there are many names terms used for hell let me give you several the Greek has the word Hades. It's a similar term to what we would say hell. In the Hebrew, it's the word Sheol. It corresponds to the word for hell. There's a word called Gehenna. It is also used for hell. And it is the, in the Hebrew, the long form is Gehenon, or the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom, which you can find in 2 Corinthians or 2 Kings 21, 2 Chronicles 28, Deuteronomy 18, Jeremiah 7, and verse 19. There's a place called Lower Hell, 2 Peter 2, 4. There's something called the place of torments, Luke 16, 28, a pool of fire, Revolution, Revelation 19, 20, and other places, the furnace of fire, Matthew 8, 42, and verse 50, unquenchable fire, Matthew 3, verse 12, and elsewhere, or 13, 12, and verse elsewhere, everlasting fire, Matthew 18, and Jude 7, exterior darkness, Matthew 8, 12, 22, and 13, and Matthew 25, 30, and mist or storm of darkness, 2 Peter 2, 17, and Jude 13. Scripture talks about hell. Jesus taught about hell. And the church fathers and early in all through church history there was teaching on the doctrine of hell. Today in our world there are three popular perspectives or perpetuated as doctrine beliefs as it relates to hell. I say it that way because there is at least one that I would declare as false and complete heresy. Let's talk about those three, shall we? Here they are. You're going to hear these terms perhaps. One is universalism. This denies hell's existence for humans, thinking that love wins and everyone will be saved. They use scriptures like Romans 5.18, 1 Corinthians 15.22, Colossians 1.20, Philippians 2.11. Now, I must say that I don't believe that their interpretation of those scriptures is accurate nor adequate to hold to this teaching, to hold to this understanding. And I must say that nowhere really in church history and even today, current scholars who are worth their merit or have any level of intellectual integrity talk seriously about this idea, nor do they accept this teaching on hell being universalism. In other words, at the end of time, no matter what you experience, the demons only go into utter darkness and hell and the lake of fire, and every human will one day see that Jesus is Lord and they are going to confess and believe and then they are going to ush be ushered into heaven. That's what universalists believe, that universally everyone goes to heaven. This is not what the Bible teaches though, friends. 
Then there's a view called annihilationism. And in annihilationism, they teach and they believe that hell is real, that there is no escape, but it doesn't last for eternity. Rather, it's punishment that reaches a terminal end or experience of complete destruction. And you find things like uh, Philippians 3, 1, verse 19, 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 3, uh, 2, t- 2 Thessalonians 19, uh, 2 Peter 3, and verse 7, and Matthew 10, verse 28, as well as several other metaphoric references in the Old Testament. But this is kind of the crux, the, the main thing. Now, I will say this. When it comes to this view of hell, I do believe that there is some really, really, really good scholarship that has been done on this subject with this view and perspective. There, there's some great healthy debate going on. But I will say that most of the Old Testament metaphors relate to destruction that you would read in the Old Testament as it relates to hell. And so it would seem to be that way. And it would lead others to believe in a complete end of those things being punished or to those being punished. In other words, if, if you are going to be destroyed in the fire, then that would mean that eventually there would be extinction that would occur. And that's essentially what annihilationism is, is saying or, or, or believes. There are many people, I will say this, there are a few people that I know who deeply committed followers of Jesus, I believe uh, smart and intellectual and right, and they would tend to hold to this view of hell. Because there's some good, good scholarship. For me, personally, I don't hold to this view of hell for two main reasons. Here's why I don't subscribe to this uh, for, two, for, two, for two main reasons. One, Jesus' teaching on the subject seemed to indicate eternal and ongoing punishment. Two, most uh, annihilationists use, um, use the less concrete passages or less descriptive or clear passages, things that are a little bit more metaphoric, meant to be a little more poetic rather than explicit or concrete. They would use those to cast a shadow and try to say, see, it could mean this, so therefore what Jesus meant might mean this. And they approach it that way as opposed to saying, it seems really clear that Jesus meant this, so then we use that to interpret some of the more poetic, imagery-based understanding of what the Bible says about hell. Some of you I have completely lost and you've checked out. Just hang on, it'll get better. But some of you really need to study and you really want to get rooted into some, th- some true te- theological understanding as it relates to hell because there are a lot of views around hell. He- here's the third view, though, of, of hell. It's what's uh, historically and, and continues to be considered eternal conscious torment or I like, to f- uh, I, I like the category that it calls eternal conscious punishment. I feel that to be a little bit more accurate to what the Bible says. Eternal conscious pun- uh, torment or punishment is this. Eternal conscious punishment of fire, darkness, weeping, torment for the wicked, the unbeliever, fallen angels, and Satan. And there's a whole host of scriptures that I list there that you can go and read and see this being interpreted. Now, this view has been and continues to be the most widely held view. This is the one that has been true throughout church history, and most of the early church fathers hold to this view. There are a few uh, church fathers in the early church that kind of lean towards and kind of taught more on the annihilation, uh, annihilationist kind of viewpoint, but predominantly 
the vast majority of Bible scholars and those, they kind of land in this category. Here is one thing that you need to understand about these views, especially the the main two that are, are believed today. And there's some room in scripture for them. Ultimately, you need to understand that the Bible teaches that hell is real. It is not a party. It is permanent. And you don't want to experience it. Hell is real. It is permanent. It ain't a party. And you don't want to experience it. And one of the reasons why this is such a difficult subject to really get around and really ponder and really to be accurate is because it impacts all of us. Not just personally our own beliefs and what we believe about God, but those that we love deeply who have already died, who have already passed on. It impacts that and and it gets to the core of our heart in such a real way. And, and somewhere along the way, we're like, yeah, but couldn't, what about? And it, and it hits us in a unique way. But I need us to understand in the words of C.S. Lewis from The Great Divorce, there are, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who have said to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God looks at in the end and says, okay, thy will be done. All that are in hell have chosen it. And without that self-choice, there would be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. And those who seek him will find him. And those who knock will experience the opening of the kingdom. The spirit and the bride say, come. All who are thirsty and long for joy and a satisfying life in this life and in the one to come can come and drink. All who want to come and belong can come and belong. Whosoever believes in him doesn't have to experience this. And it does create a stirring in us not only to think correctly about the love of God, but it also stirs us to think about loving other people in a different, more biblical way. That sometimes love means we look at people and say, I'm really afraid for your soul. And I want to see you in eternity. I remember my senior year of high school. Um, I got to play baseball and um, after uh, all of high school, not getting to play baseball for various circumstances. And I was on the team and I didn't get to play a lot, and, uh, and the coach told me early on that I wouldn't play, but I was a senior. He wanted me out there, and he really appreciated kind of the influence and the leadership that I had within my, with, among my classmates, and he wanted that positive influence on the team. And we finished uh, district, uh, we won district, and we went on to the next round in our state tournament, and we lost in a heartbreaking end of the game. And there were many, many tears on our team. We were just heartbroken. We had that game won. We were kind of devastated. And I remember looking at a couple of the guys on the team who I knew, even though we went to a private Christian school, their life needed to change course 
if they were going to experience the life of God. And I remember looking at them and saying, listen, I know we're all about to graduate and the likelihood of us staying connected and you and me knowing each other beyond this moment is very, very limited. And with tears in my eyes and tears in his eyes, I said, just promise me one thing, that whatever life looks like, you'll get your act together soon and be in heaven with me instead of hell. And with tears in his eyes, he looked back and said, I want to, I want to, man, I want to. And that was the last we ever talked about it. I want to say one thing to those of you who have been a part of church for a really long time. Some of you have heard some incorrect teaching that says that those who have gone to hell that were in your sphere of influence, those that were in your life, that their blood is on your hands. That you should have reached out and you should have said something and, and maybe that's been a perspective into they died and I had an opportunity and I didn't say anything and what about this and what about that? And Number one, hear me loud and clear. That's not on you. Be set free from that. That's not on you. You live faithful, you lived your life, you did the things as you went, but at the end of the day, whosoever chooses can choose. Because without the opportunity to choose, there is no actual love. And now that brings me to this third thought of the kingdom truth that you need to understand today, friends. Is that God has already given everything to redeem everyone. He gave everything to redeem us. We read and started talking about two little parables about the parable of the treasure hidden in the field and the parable of the pearl of great price and value. And, and often we read that and we're like, oh yeah, we, we need to be like the man and the merchant. We need to find the treasure of Jesus and we need to do whatever it costs. We need to sell out to buy the field. We need to do that. I, I, want, I want to encourage you to maybe think about this parable from a different perspective though. This parable isn't about you, it's about Jesus. And it's actually about hidden things of the kingdom. If you look in Matthew 13, verse 55, Jesus says, all, I'm telling you all of these parables to reveal to you the hidden things. And he tells some more parables to his disciples. And he tells this, these two parables about the pearl and the treasure, the pearl and the treasure, the treasure and the pearl. And it's about hidden things. Here's what I want you to understand. That hidden from the very beginning of the world is the desire for God to be in and with humanity. Hidden in the story of the garden and creation narrative is God's desire to be with us. Hidden from the beginning within us is the very fingerprint of God's image himself. Inside every human being, there bears an, a print, a fingerprint, a, a clue for us to discover who God is. Uh, we believe that humans were created in the image and the likeness of God. But from the very beginning, evil and sin in the world have buried and marred and dirtied the image of God within man. 
And Jesus comes to bring that to bear, to call us out of the buried darkness into his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2.9. Jesus came to bring us out of a life of sin and make us sons again, Luke verse uh, chapter 15. Jesus came to remind us that the treasure buried under the dirt of the world is still treasure with uncompromised worth. You were the treasure that he found and he buried from the very beginning of time. You were the pearl that he sold everything to buy back. You are not trash. You are God's treasure. And you might feel buried under life. You might feel buried in darkness right now. You might feel buried and marred and beaten and broken by sin, by habits, by perspective, by evil that surrounds you, by addiction that is crippling you. But you hold the fingerprint of God. And God has given everything to come and find you. To come and rescue you. To come and redeem you. And he can't wait to hold it again. Hidden within you is the story of God. Hidden within me is the story of God. And it is true that it pleased God to send his son to pay for that pearl. It pleased God to send his son to find that which has been hidden around. And it is true the kingdom of God is hidden among us. It is true the kingdom of God is so valuable like a pearl. And it is true that when we recognize that Jesus has given up everything to get us as his treasure, as his first love, that we ourselves return and give him everything in our lives. And we treasure him above all things. That we actually make it so that we treasure God more than we treasure other things in our life. That, that we come to a place where we treasure God more than anything else, more than reputation, more than your dignity, more than your personality, more than your comfort, more than your hobbies, more than your sports, more than your national pride. God longs for us just like he communicated to the church in Ephesus. Let me read it to you. Revelation 2, starting in verse 1, it says this, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven lampstands. I know all the things that you do, I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but they aren't. You've discovered that they're lying. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this one complaint against you. You don't love me or love each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove the very light or the lampstand from within your. But this is in your favor. You hate evil deeds, even of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. So anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches, to everyone who is victorious. 
I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. This is the promise that we would repent and return to him and discover what he's after in our lives. Would you just bow your heads right where you're at and just take a minute Just take a minute and take inventory in your own life, in your own heart, and just simply ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Would you just whisper that prayer? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Today, Lord, I, I pray for those those of us who recognize that there are competing values within our life, who recognize that there are some things that we value and run to more than we would run and value you. Lord, I pray that you would allow our hearts to be detached from those lesser loves and instead, Lord, that you would help us feed and flame the fire of love for you more. Lord, it's not about being legalistic and condemning and where we point the finger at other people. But that's, that's kind of what the church in Ephesus was doing. Lord, they had forgot that they were the treasure. So, Lord, would you remind us today that we are your treasured people, that you gave everything to come and find us that we are loved and it is from your love that you lead us to a place of repentance moving in your direction Lord Lord today I pray for those who are just hearing this message and kind of grieving again grieving the loss of of those in their life Holy Spirit I pray you would comfort them you said that you would comfort those who mourn Lord so would you comfort us today? Lord, you are God, we are not. And sometimes we're assuming people make it and assuming people don't make it. And Lord, that's your department, not ours. And so Lord, in the midst of all of these things, would you help all of us to make a commitment to love you more, to give you all that we have and to allow you to be our first love and live in such a way that the people around us would see our good deeds of love before you and they themselves would begin to glorify God in heaven. And may the goodness of God that we experience be the goodness of God that they experience leading us all to places of repentance and trust in you, Jesus. We thank you for it. We pray this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who dies for us. Amen. Would you just stand where you're at? I want to speak a blessing over you and a benediction as we get ready to depart from this place. I want you to know that if you're here today and maybe the word is stirring something in you, 
Would you not leave from this moment, but rather allow our team to pray with you? Maybe you walked into this room and you're just really wrestling and struggling with some things, walking through a difficulty, maybe sickness in your body. Would you allow us the opportunity to pray with you? Our team, they'd, they'd love that opportunity to do that. Would you just stretch your hands out in front of you and be ready to receive as we speak this blessing of you, Lord? I pray that you would bless us and keep us. I pray that you would make your face shine on us and be gracious to us this week. I pray, Lord, you would lift your countenance towards us in joy and delight, and it would bring great peace to our hearts. We pray this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, and in the Holy Spirit who reminds us every day this week that we are treasured by you, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, go in God's grace and peace. You're dismissed. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.